Hello again, and welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual church classroom podcast presented each week by Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana, and hosted by me, Pastor Dan, with the help of my lovely daughter, Bethany. We meet each week for this virtual Bible study in our virtual church classroom to know God's heart and mind with all of our heart and mind. That's the goal each week, and our hope is that through this virtual Bible study, Bible study, you'll be able to participate more completely in the benefits of active involvement in a church community. But having said that, we genuinely hope you will be served by this offer, but also that you will not settle for this alone. We hope you will seek and join a church community that feels like home and a family of faith. This recording is being made on June the 3rd, 2018, and we continue our study of the book of Revelation. But first, acts of worship as we love God and each other through worship and prayer. Today's psalm reading is Psalm 12. Psalm 12 is for the director of music according to Sheminth. A Psalm of David. I don't know what Sheminth means. According to uh, my footnotes in my Bible, it is a reference to Hebrew texts and a certain numbering system. So in other words, this is like in our hymnal in the United Methodist Church where we say this can also be sung to the tune of Amazing Grace or something like that. So here we go. Psalm 12. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say, by our tongues we will prevail, our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan. I will now arise, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in the crucible, like gold refined seven times. You, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked who freely strut about when, that, uh, when what is vile is honored by the human race. the godly cease to be, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Everybody speaks idle words with smooth talking, flattering lips, and a double heart. May the
today feeling the same way that the psalmist has felt. We so often hear insincere words. We hear it uh, coming from our capital. We hear it coming from our places of work. We hear it coming from our pulpits and in our Sunday school classrooms. Lord, there's a lot of insincerity out there. And a lot of people are sure that their words are powerful and that their influence is infinite and yet nothing's more powerful than you lord and so as we come together we ask for the truth the truth that comes from your heart and mind so that we can honor you by living according to your precepts oh god we thank you and praise you this day for the graciousness and the glory of your word and we ask God that as we hear your word and learn from your word that we might be transformed for your sake. Help us to be people whose words are true, whose actions back up the things we say. Oh Lord, help us as we join together to help those who are less fortunate, to reach out to those in need, especially as we pray for one another over the various kinds of things that are going on in our lives. And as we serve you by serving each other in your name. Oh God, hear us as we pray and anoint us with your Holy Spirit so that we might be truly sincere and honest in what we say and do for your name's sake. Amen. this week the discussion and study portion of our Bible study of the book of Revelation is being done outside literally outside the GHM studio that's God heart mind somebody asked me what does GHM stand for so I had to tell them it stands for God heart mind and that's an abbreviation of knowing God with heart and mind and so the GHM studio is in the basement, and frankly, it's just too beautiful today to be in the basement. And so Bethany and I have brought it outside, and you can hear all the sounds of this neighborhood we live in. <laughs> a neighbor driving a stake, my air conditioning running at the door by the house. Uh, <coughs> and uh, But we can hear the birds, and we can hear the wind blowing, and it's just a lovely day. The humidity's lower today than it's been in quite a while, thank it's goodness. very nice outside. Yeah, so we're just enjoying our little recording out here. And uh, the truth is, is, I wanted to do this also because we have... Uh, we have more conversations about scripture and stuff and philosophy and theology this way anyhow don't we oh yeah i mean for most of your life you and i have had these kinds of conversations on the back porch the front porch 
in the living room or just wherever, mm -hmm. and really sitting in the little corner that I've created, the, the GHM studio, it still feels pretty natural, but it's not the way we usually do it. So this yeah. is a chance for us to kind of do what we do. Mm -hmm. Ruthie's here too, so I have both of my daughters. She just waved at you listeners. <laughs> she doesn't understand the concept of radio. Well, <laughs> or she's just enough like her big sister because I use gestures all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so Ruthie, say hi. With, with your words. mouth. Hi. 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 That was yeah. Ruthie. So she's here just as an observer to our process. but So um, part of the reason we decided to do it this way is because we reached the end of the letters mm -hmm. to the seven churches. And it seemed like a good idea before we move on to kind of do a wrap. <coughs> it's kind of a natural yeah. ending point. Yeah. Because from here on... Revelation gets to that place where a lot of us have questions because a lot of the weird spooky stuff happens and 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 I say spooky but I don't mean that literally scary but the kind of stuff that needs some really thoughtful interpretation um, and so we've we've got to take a moment here to just go back over the letters that we've been covering and get a general overview and we thought we'd do that with a nice casual outdoor conversation and then next week when we get back in the studio we'll hit it hard and start tackling some of the imagery of heaven some of the ways in which uh, the movement of God's plan is going to set in you know the motion of things you're when you read Revelation after the letters to the churches you see a series of movements um, it's like a symphony, you know, there's, there are different movements that occur and what we've heard basically is the general condition of the church as Jesus sees it. He's described the seven churches or the seven kinds of churches, the seven kinds of Christians, and he's basically saying, so this is how it looks from heaven. Now, let's get a on-the-scene interview with our reporter, John, at the mezzanine yeah. overlooking the throne room of Jesus Christ and God the Creator, as he gives us a play-by-play -play of the movement that's going on in God's throne room as he prepares to take the final steps in the current condition of, of the creation so right. that's kind of the overview and we're about to get into that second part that movement um, an overture starts with bits and pieces of all the different elements of the piece and then you get the individual pieces within or elements within and we're about to see all of that unfold so right now we want to kind of go back and and look at what we've learned about the overview mm -hmm. of the churches so so we've learned that there are seven churches or seven existing uh, ministries in Asia that were established essentially by Paul mm -hmm. and they currently exist they currently exist I was about to cough, and I was trying to get you to take it up for me. So, so they currently exist in the writing of, of yeah, they're, John. Yeah, they're, they're current in Revelation. They were contemporary they were to contem John. Yes. Yeah, we know that. He had even 
probably been to some of them. Yep. Yeah, well, because he settled yeah. at one of them after he got off the island, Ephesus, right? Ephesus, right. He, well, went, he, he went back to Ephesus. Tradition and, and has were, him buried there. And they were all close enough together that I can't imagine, like, they were connected, so I can't imagine him not at least being in and around some of them. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And so, and, and as you pointed out with your really great, uh, history overviews for each you know I think we were on to a pretty cool formula there um, means we have to change our games I know game I don't know what we're gonna do next you know this one's gonna be a little more uh, responsive now mm -hmm. but but you gave everybody a really good idea with each of the churches of what their historical mm -hmm. background was because none of those churches just suddenly came on the scene I think context is really important yeah so they were they were cities that already existed yeah and for the most part, cities in those days would be like city-states. Yes. Um, each one had an independent government, a standing army or something. Well, Not all of them. And some of them were kingdoms. Like, we, we yeah. talked about Pergamum, and Pergamum was a kingdom. So there was, yeah, it's a little different than when we think about, like, Jasper. Right. It's not like the city of Jasper. Um, <laughs> Although, from what I've learned, there may have been a time when Jasper was sort of a city-state. <laughs> But that's another story. <laughs> I'm interested. All the native Jasperites are probably chuckling at that. <laughs> um, but anyway, they were they were established cities, and they were uh, some more responsive than others. Mm -hmm. But the invent the the in, bleh, the invasion of Christianity came yeah. to those communities. And some of the communities adapted to it, and the churches thrived, and some of the churches uh, kind of met with resistance and suffered for it. Yes. And um, some, I think, met Like Sardis. With, yeah. Well, um, Smyrna comes to mind. Smyrna, oh, I got them backwards. Yeah. Sardis was the one that was kind of the big box church. Yeah, that, like, yeah. Yeah. Because I think, like, Smyrna's a great example of a church that met with a lot of resistance and didn't yeah. and fought back yeah um and didn't let that resistance get to them whereas like sardis i think got resistance and said all right we'll change our formula which is never a great idea um yeah i yeah i think sardis is a good example yeah. of and we what see, not to do. you know, so so in the same way. I think I think the same. I think what's interesting is that these seven churches also represent contemporary today yeah. churches, and the kinds of churches that we yeah. have today. And I think and what, individuals. I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to get to that. But okay. Okay. Sorry. No, no, you're fine. Ahead. No, no, it's okay because you don't <laughs> you didn't know where I was going with this. But but what I mean is is that you look at the kinds of churches we have today. What's interesting is is that. Christianity wasn't a thing in those cities, yeah. and then it came. Yeah. And the cities didn't exactly know what to do with it. I mean, you know, general population, some thought, this is great. They embraced the message. Some resisted it. Some saw it as an outside threat that was really dangerous and had to be dealt with. You know, all of that. What's happening now is, is most of the cities in this country, especially here in the Midwest, and Jasper's a great example, were established by very religious people mm -hmm. with a very certain kind of spiritual uh, life and a, and a belief system that they were faithful to and a practice and a culture that associated with that. And, and so the exact opposite has happened in contemporary history in America is that most of the cities in these countries were founded by Christian people 
and about as quickly as they built anything if they started drawing town lines in a city mm -hmm. you know like if they said we're going to make a city right here and we're going to call it jasper they started drawing a map of where the streets were going to go and where the churches were going to go because right. that was the first thing that happens you know and a lot of the cities were established by pilgrims or by missionaries mm -hmm. who came to the united states or came from other parts of the united states with the expressed intent mm -hmm. To start a new religious colony somewhere in one of these communities, and by colony I don't mean like a closed colony, but they they wanted to establish their their religion in that community mm -hmm. and and develop a following, and so the interesting thing is is that we have the same kinds of conditions that they had then, only our cycle has kind of done a full arc, whereas when they entered into these communities where there was no thing, nothing like Christianity, they started and established and started small and grew and grew and grew, and then they started to fall off. Mm -hmm. But what happened in a lot of American cities, especially towns in the Midwest like this one, is they start off at the top of the ark coming with a high religious culture, and then it starts to fall mm -hmm. and becomes more secular. Yeah. And then revival comes. And we're in a phase right now, I think, in this community and a lot of communities just like it, where there are just different versions of revival. And uh, some of the revival is virtually non-existent. I mean, you know, it's, uh, there are some places where the churches and the culture have so completely melded that you don't, and, and folks, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular here. Think about the seven churches. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm getting at. Think yeah. about the seven churches. So when you think about the seven churches, you see some that have pretty much lost themselves in their religion has become a reflection of the culture, say like Laodicea. Mm -hmm. And then you have some that have waxed and waned so much that they're confused about their identity. Mm -hmm. And that might be, uh, I called it Sardis, or, or I got this messed up. Sardis was... Sardis was the big box Big box church, church yeah. right. So Sardis was kind of, you know, big box church with a big identity about itself, but a mission and a vision towards mm -hmm. Jesus. But think, they get lost in the details. Like, do we, are we doing this because it is a matter of tastes? Or is it a genuine effort to reach people who can't be reached with traditional things, you know? Mm -hmm. And well, so think, they're confused. I think like Thyatira and Pergamum are good examples because they're kind of the middle of the road ones. Yeah. They're still getting commended for things that they're doing, but they're not there yet. Like yeah. they're, they're getting a knock too. Right. Um, and I think that that's where a lot of churches are right now. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you've got these highly developed revivals in these churches. Mm -hmm. We've got the two churches that Jesus praised. One is being persecuted. Smyrna. And the other one isn't being persecuted so much, but they're keeping the ideal. They're, they're yeah. still focused. And in both cases, it's tempting, and I've done it myself. I call them small churches. But the, I only mean that they remind me of the smaller churches. But I've been in some really dysfunctional, messed up, uh, Laodicean small churches too, mm -hmm. you know, because those are generally family driven. There's usually one main family, mm -hmm. and you know if that family is is not particularly, if they're if that main family that drives that church is like the people of Laodicea, then that's what the church is going to be like. And if they're like the people in Philadelphia, that's what the church will be like. Mm -hmm. 
but in a larger church, you know, a, a medium-sized church, uh, east of the Mississippi, a large church would be a church with four or 500 people. West of the Mississippi, totally different animal. Tens of thousands, you know, the, the big churches have five, six, eight, ten, twelve thousand people. But, but this side of the Mississippi where we live, you know, our church would be considered a fairly large church. Mm-hmm. And yet the cultural effects are the same, whether the size, no matter the size of the church. And it really just is, is a question of which ideals are being promoted and to what extent they influence the decisions that are made about the church's purpose and, and, and activities, mm-hmm. you know. So these seven churches really do represent churches we see all the time. The question for our listeners would be, well, where do you go to church and which one do you think best connects you uh, emotionally with your church? I mean, do you think your church is a Philadelphia church? Do you think it's a Laodicea church? And in both cases, what do you see? What do you think you should do about that? Mm -hmm. So... Those are just some of my thoughts. What are you? What have you been thinking of as you've wrapped up the seven churches? Well, I I'm going to talk about individual, I guess, because I think that when well, I'm glad reading, you did because I told you to wait. <laughs> so I think, go there. So I think the other really cool thing about the message for the seven churches is that it just keeps layering upon itself. So, like, yeah, it's talking about the original churches and it's talking about churches today. But I think you can also read it and hear a very clear message to you and what you need to be doing because even the church like even if you don't think that you're a Laodicea because I I hope I'm not a Laodicea I don't want that and I think I'm probably not but I think when you listen to each of the messages you get the ideal and what to aim for because he tells you what you need to do every single like every single church he tells them what they need to do so i think if you combine all of the things they need to do you have a pretty clear picture of what you as an individual christian need to be doing um do you think, think do you think that the laodicea person is going to be able to be convinced that that's what's going on with them i am probably not you know and I mean, and and here's a real. T- I mean, this is this is a question that I ask myself as a pastor. I'm supposed to be influential. I mean, one of my jobs is to try to influence people, but I want to do it with humility, and I really want my influence to come through me from the Spirit of God. I don't want my influence, and by that I mean that that you know, uh, like a judge in a, in a court wears a robe in part because the judge is supposed to be the interpreter of the law or the the officer of the law mm-hmm. and and so they are the law more than they are a person and yet their personalities can't help but come through and so that's why we choose judges that we think are particularly wise mm-hmm. and and able to recognize their own weaknesses and you know so I would think you'd want the same quality in a pastor. You want a pastor to be somebody who, who is communicating God's word to the best of their ability and with the help of the Holy Spirit, but at the same time factoring in their own personality as much as can be done wisely. And so as a pastor, I ask myself all the time, essentially the question today, if I'm a Philadelphia person, I hope, or a... a uh, 
uh, Smyrna church person, if I'm one of those where Jesus had nothing bad to say about them, am I the kind of person that's going to go to a Laodicean type person and say, hey, dude, you're blind. You're, you really need to open your eyes. Or is that even the sort of thing that a Philadelphia or a Smyrna person would say? Well, maybe not like that exactly, but I think that they they would say it because because they want to help. But I think the problem is is that someone who's a Laodicea type person or really I think a Sardis type person because I think Sardis didn't even realize that they were as bad off as they were. Yeah. I think Sardis thought they were doing great and I and I kind of think that somebody who is more of a Sardis type Christian thinks things are going great. I don't think they have the self-awareness to realize there's anything wrong. Um, whereas maybe the Laodicea person would be able to catch on because maybe they realize that they are waffling and that they're compromising. And But I think a Sardis... I think Sard- that was Sardis's big problem was that they were... They didn't think that they didn't think anything was wrong. They thought they were doing doing exactly what they needed to be doing because that was I mean that's what he was saying. He said, "You think you're rich? Like, mm-hmm. you think you've got this, and you don't." Um, and I don't know. I think they probably lack self awareness, and I think that they need other Christians to come alongside them and say, "Listen, buddy." I don't know if it helps though because they lack that self awareness. I think they're going to say, "You're the one with the problem." Yeah, um, and I, I run into that. You know, I've always found it difficult as a pastor to confront people who are just, like, blatantly in your face about something that they're completely wrong about. And by being... When I say they're wrong, I I don't mean... I, I just don't, I don't know how else to say this, but... They're usually trying to tell me something about me. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't many things that I can be sure that another person is wrong about. Mm-hmm. But I can definitely know whether a person's wrong about me. And, you know, when you're the pastor of a church, you're a target. And some people will take aim at you and mm-hmm. shoot something at you that is completely wrong. They'll, they'll just say something about me that's just not true. And... People will try to defend me to them, or I'll try to defend myself, and 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 it doesn't matter. And I think that's kind of where you're you're like the Smyrna Church. You're sort of or uh, Sardis, Sardis, where you're being, you know, you're being uh, uh, tormented and tortured just because they don't like you, mm-hmm. and it doesn't well, that matter. Would be Smyrna. So Smyrna, that's what I. <laughs> There's too many S's, I guess. Yeah, and we so haven't even mentioned Ephesus. We got to go. Right, to, yeah. We got to go to Ephesus before we're done. <laughs> but but I'm just saying, you know, sometimes people persecute you just because of the color of your skin, yeah. or they persecute because you are of a religion or something. You know, I get a lot I of think, of that. You know, I think also what happens is that, and maybe this is the more Laodicea type, because I think, like I said, I think they realize they're compromising. They don't know how to stop. Yeah, but I also think what happens is that there are people out there who are like Smyrna and, and like Philadelphia, and and more so like Smyrna, I guess, because those people that are wiggling and in the middle, like Laodicea, I like they can't. 
they're frustrated they're frustrated with themselves yeah because they they don't have they're not clear and and so then they tend to persecute people that they see doing it right and really they're they're reflecting their misgivings and their struggles onto you not you but like the generalized you onto other people um that they see being successful and they don't like that because it reflects back on them um so then it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're they're making the Smyrna people even more Smyrna because they're persecuting them yeah um and and there's the reminder that I've talked about over the years at different times that what I've come to realize is that when persecution comes to the church it won't be non-Christians, yeah. so-called, who initiate the persecution. Um, the first persecutors of Christians were Jews. Mm -hmm. And they persecuted those Jews who converted to following Christ. Right. Who were their countrymen, who were their native blood kin. And so it was from within. Yeah. It was, a, it was a closed group of people who were persecuting their own because they chose to believe and act in a certain way that, that others didn't approve of. And that fact, this, we're talking about Ephesus, that's where we get the Nicolaitans. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the Nicolaitans. Yeah. These are the people who are trying to mend that problem by trying to accommodate Jewish persecutors. And so they're trying to accommodate the, the persecution from within and I think we see that in our denomination right now. I think there's a certain amount of, of bending the rules and twisting the Bible to accommodate certain people because they would rather do that than appear to be divided, especially <laughs> when Rome is standing on the periphery just waiting for an excuse to attack. Mm -hmm. And really that dynamic is in place today. Within Christianity, there's all kinds of persecution and division among the kin mm -hmm. it's it's a closed group so to speak and there's a lot of persecution coming from within and a lot of infighting and the rest of the world is like rome just sitting around watching mm -hmm. and waiting for a reason to intervene yeah. and we have certain really strange and distorted interpretations of scripture that have turned into sects that i can't say that word very well sect and these sects have been in places like Waco, Texas, 20-something yeah. years ago, and, and up in Montana, and places like that, where, where you, you've got these people who have a form of religion, like, like the one you talk about Westboro all the time, Baptist Westboro Church. Baptist. It's a, it sounds like Christianity, but they have twisted it so badly yes. that their activity has drawn fire from Rome, so to speak, yeah. or, or the government, or, or the secular world. And... They sort of know that these are zealots or violent outcroppings of a certain form of religion, and they don't assume that all Christians are like that, but that means that persecution and infighting within the church creates opportunities for the world outside the church to creep in and, mm -hmm. and intervene, you yeah. know? And so these dynamics never really change. Um, Judaism partly brought down 
brought itself down. Judaism, and I'm not. This is not an anti-Semitic or anti-Jewish thing. As a matter of history, Jerusalem was destroyed, and uh, was was sacked basically uh, because the Jewish leadership within Jerusalem could not create a unified front, mm-hmm. and the Romans had had enough. And the Romans were like, you know, we'll let you guys run your own city-state. We'll let you have your religious leadership and everything. As long as we collect the taxes, as long as we get the, you know, as long as we're controlling the trade routes and all that, you know, because Rome saw it as a strategic location, and they would rather have had the benefits of the strategic location than the headache of managing the local government. Mm -hmm. So Rome says, fine, we'll let them govern themselves and have their religion as long as it doesn't get out of hand. And it got out of hand. And it got out of hand because the people were infighting. Because within the religion itself, there were too many different ideas of what the right kind of religion was. And so when it looked like it was all going to explode in chaos, Rome says, all right, enough. Mm -hmm. And they destroy the city and chase down all the Jews. And they don't make any distinctions between zealots Mm -hmm. or Christians who have converted to Christ followers, but they're still Jewish in, Mm -hmm. in, in every other sense. The Romans don't care. So, that's kind of the situation that we're in today, really. There's there's a Rome out there, and it's really just kind of the secular religion of our society that is like Rome. Um, and, you know, I've said for years, I think we're living in Rome. Mm-hmm. I, think the, I think the United States has more in common with the biblical Rome than people realize because we're sophisticated, we have a very uh, a very laudable government. You know, I mean we have a we have certain liberties and freedoms that were that are uncommon in the world to this day. Uh, we have the most powerful military, we 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 have uh, our hand in all sorts of activities worldwide and you know so we're like Rome. But for that very reason, the native peoples are just pretty, they despise us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you talk about people hating you for no particular th- reason. They, you know, there are people in the world who hate me because I'm an American and they don't even know me. Mm-hmm. And if they got to know me, they might find me to be a nice enough fella. But if they had to choose whether to cut my throat or welcome me into their house and treat me like a friend, they'd probably cut my throat just because I'm an American. Yeah. And... That's what I'm talking about. Some people just hate because it's easier than trying to sort them out. And that's where persecution happens. Mm-hmm. You know, eliminate what makes you uncomfortable. Yep. And persecution does start within. Um, so, anyway. Yeah. So the individuals... So Ephesus, we want to make sure we talk about Ephesus for a minute, because that was the first one we read about, but which is also the furthest from our memory right, right. now. Right, Ephesus was commended for being, you know, kind of the base church. The, they they uh, really hesitate to use this analogy, but they, they were sort of... Ephesus was to the Pauline church, that is the church that was founded by Paul. Mm-hmm. They were to the Pauline Asian ministry what, say, Rome would be to Catholics or Constantinople to the Greek Orthodox or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, uh, uh, or 
you know, that kind of thing. So they were sort of, Ephesus was home base for Paul's Asian ministry. It was the, the center. And so they were probably the most healthy, organizationally speaking. And Jesus commends them because they're, they're the ones who are establishing, you know, like Christian schools and Christian hospitals. And, you know, they're doing all the right things and for mostly the right reasons. And he commends them because they don't let up on the Nicolaitans. They, right. They're really on that. But he also says, you know, you guys are walking a tightrope, though. You're, you're in a dangerous place, mm-hmm. you know. So what was Ephesus's problem? They forsook, they, they forsook, forsook? Is that the word? They forsook, this sounds really funny. They forsook their first love. Yeah. So they worked really hard and they were doing all of this stuff, but they forgot, like, what it was about. Yeah. Like, why they were doing it. Yeah, that's right. And so they're kind of the classic example of the, uh, we've always done it that way. Right. You know, which is something is the like one of the words, one of the phrases pastors hate to hear. We tried that before and it doesn't work, mm-hmm. or we've always done it this way, and that's okay if you can remember why. Right. And you know, so every now and again, you got to revisit your traditions. I mean, like sit down and say, so once, tell me again, why do we do this? Why? Yeah. And if nobody can remember, maybe we shouldn't be doing it anymore. You know. Or if it didn't work when we tried it before, let's analyze why it didn't work. Because maybe it should have worked. You know? Yeah. Um, so Ephesus is a great example, I think, of an established, generally healthy church mm-hmm. that just gets a little bit misguided. Yeah. And needs some direction. Yeah, they just need to stop and remember what it's about. And, and you know, of course you know, and most of my ministry friends like to tease me and they say well you're Mr. Leadership you're all about leadership so it won't be a surprise that I say that all Ephesus really needs is good strong leadership Um, you know because those kinds of churches they're not in bad shape really but they need somebody who's willing to say hey don't forget why we're doing this what matters most And, and that person you know will take a lot of hits but they'll also be the one that's remembered later as someone who's who stopped and said, the emperor is naked, you know, and uh, like I, I love that, mm-hmm. you know, analogy. Yeah. So what else in the way of review? Well, we've talked lots about Smyrna because I like Smyrna so much. Um, but I think... If we're going to just quickly touch on all of them, Pergamum would be the next one after Smyrna. Yeah, yeah. And Pergamum was the one that he said was, like, sitting... They, they were situated where Satan's throne was. They, were, they weren't... He commended them for, for not denying, like, for not falling under the pressure of that. But, like, the, he basically said, like, you're in a really bad place. And I know it, but you're doing what you need. Like, as far as not denying who you're following and what your job is, they were doing a good job of that. Um, I would think it would be like being, and I, now I know this is going to sound like a joke, but it's not not meant as a joke. It would be like being a Christian in Washington, D.C. There are a lot of people in, in D.C. who 
say they're Christian. But, and, and honestly, I think even a faithful Jewish person would be hard to come by in, in D.C. There's a lot of people who claim to be Jewish, a lot of people who claim to be Christian, there are people who claim to be Muslim. Probably in D.C. right now, the most authentic religion in D.C. is Islam. And that's because people are terrified of standing up against Islam. And in part because it's not politically incorrect to be uh, Islamic in a very politically correct world mm -hmm. like D.C. Mm -hmm. or the big cities. And so the most politically incorrect religion in D.C. Is, relig is the religion of the Christian and really the religions of the Bible. So the Jews yeah. and the Christians who believe in the Bible, they're not very welcome in places like Washington, D.C. And so you're allowed to say whatever you want about your identity. You can self-identify as a Christian, but don't try to say what that means. Right. You know, don't try to impose your beliefs on me. Which means basically you can't even go out to dinner and say I don't eat pork unless you're Muslim. Then it's okay. You know, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I'm trying not to make a political statement here, but that would sound like Pergamum. You're you're sitting there Satan's thrones right in the middle of it all. Well, I think it also reminds me of what you were talking about in your sermon last week about this Hellenistic culture. Yeah, yeah. And I get the sense that, because that was the thing he had against them, was that they were, they were letting Balaam. Yeah. Do what, the, those followers of Balaam, they were, they were letting that slide and kind of just saying, ah, well, there's not much we can do about that, so we're just going to let it go. And that kind of, I think, jives with what you were talking about with this Hellenistic culture and how it's taking over and yeah um, yeah no that's great yeah that's great you know i preach this stuff and i sometimes have difficulty tying it all together well i'm really glad i remembered that because i was definitely not with it last week but i remember that part <laughs> well i've had a lot of really positive response to the sunday sermons really for the last year but in particular this last few weeks people have been <coughs> you know very correct excuse me, very courageously embracing the messages. Mm -hmm. And the messages have been hard. You know, like this morning, uh, we're recording, I should say we're recording this on Sunday afternoon. Yes. Uh, and, and just a reminder to the faithful listeners that these will probably be <laughs> recorded on Sundays for a little while. Um, and we'll try to get the, schedule, the distribution back to a regular thing, but... If you've been used to getting a new podcast on Friday mornings at 9 o'clock, you've probably noticed that they're not coming on Friday mornings at 9 o'clock. <laughs> and that's simply because we've had a lot going on. Bethany's yes. moved back. She's here in Jasper now uh, with her two favorite guys, me right in her, right in her own house, and Santa <laughs> Claus just a few miles away. So, yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> but uh, but the uh, uh, Next week or this coming week is the annual conference for the Indianapolis in Indianapolis for the United Methodists. So, so we'll be on a different recording schedule, and we're going to take some vacation time. We probably will try to record a few in advance. But mm -hmm. I'm just telling you guys right up front, we're we're going to be having, you know, if you're looking for these messages on a certain day that they've always come, they may be off for a while. Mm -hmm. Hopefully by mid July, we'll be back on a regular schedule. Mm -hmm. 
and that'll all depend on when Bethany and I can sit down together in the studio. It was a little easier to predict when we were doing it on Thursday nights over the internet. Mm -hmm. So anyway, just a little side note there. But uh, yeah, when we look at these different churches, this is kind of where we are. You know, we're, we're figuring out that these are images of the church today, our society today, mm -hmm. the struggle between the Hellenism or the Greek culture, mm -hmm. which is a Greek culture in the sense that it is uh, a, a culture of the flesh. Yeah. And uh, versus Instant the spirit. gratification. Yeah. And then this morning, as I was saying, the message from Titus was about basically uh, household conduct. Mm -hmm. And it starts with some tough stuff because he's saying some things that are very specific to the Titus a church that Titus is in charge of, but in more general terms, Paul is trying to say that if you are a Christian, it should be apparent to others. Mm. And so when you're a Pergamum, you're in a place where you're claiming Christianity, but you're trying not to show it too much. Uh, you want everybody to think you're just like them, mm. and that Christianity's cool, you know, and that tends to backfire sooner or later, and I think that's what Jesus was telling them. You yeah. know, is, is like, I see that you're you're not denying me in the sense that you're just trying to pretend like you aren't a Christian for fear of persecution. And yet, you call my name, you claim my identity, but you don't really want to take any hits mm -hmm. for living like that. Yeah. And the real commitment that got Smyrna, Sardis, 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 not Smyrna. <laughs> no, it was Smyrna. Smyrna's, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm no Smyrna, blame. Smyrna good, Sardis bad. Smyrna good, Sardis bad. Thank you. <laughs> I tell you, I, I was going to tease you about confusing me, but there's no way I can blame you. I'm, con <laughs> I'm confused through no fault of yours. So Smyrna good, Sardis bad. There you go. Ish. Yeah. So, so if you, you know... The Smyrna Church and the Philadelphia Church, they basically got commended because they were living it like yeah. it was real. Yeah. They, they, weren't, they weren't struggling more with the Greek culture. They were putting the Greek culture behind them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't living. They weren't trying to live in both worlds. Well, the only problem with doing this outside is, is I don't have my, my little studio clock in front of me, so I don't know how long we've been talking. I don't know what time we started. So... We probably need to wrap this up so we're not giving people much more than usual. <laughs> yeah. But it's been pretty good. Any final thoughts on, on the letters to the churches? I don't think so. We didn't really mention Thyatira, so... Just, oh, yeah. I'll just say Thyatira, like, is the one that I find really fascinating because of all of the... those... the, the, she, the she culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... I'm glad so, you remembered that. So, um, they get a they get a commendation. They get told that they're pre like that they're well. They get told they're like a Proverbs thirty one church. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. That they're persistent and that they you know that they're doing all of these things and with great love and stuff. But then they get told they're also letting another not so great person do her thing. Um, and he calls her Je he calls her Jezebel. Um, and we, you know, we talked about that when we did the Thyatira one, but, um... Do you know something but, I didn't mention that they, that is coming to mind right now? Because I talked about this, this 
culture of you know women being elevated i all good you know because we're seeing women in the light that they deserve to be seen in but there's another thing that's going on with Thyatira that I think is interesting. And as a pastor, I've certainly lived with it. And I got to say that Shiloh in Jasper has been vastly different from my experience. 21 years of ministry, this is the first church I've been in where it wasn't primarily women driven. Mm. Most of the churches here in the Midwest are driven by women. Mm -hmm. And the men tend to disdain the Sunday morning thing mm -hmm. we have in this church you don't see as many Sunday morning widows mm -hmm. in Shiloh we have we have whole families in worship a lot yeah way more than what I'm accustomed to in most of the churches I've served over these last 20 years and there's only been a f five counting Shiloh but the churches that I've served over these last 20 years have been almost exclusively women driven there's been a handful of men who were really faithful most of the women would come with their the younger women would come with their children in the pew but dad's not there mm. and when anything needed to get done the women organized and got it done yeah and so they were proverbs 31 women keeping the church alive and keeping the mission and ministry of the church alive mm -hmm. they were the ones that would tell you there was a neighbor who had a house fire and we need to get the food organized for them and clothing and stuff and mm -hmm. they would be the ones who would get a funeral dinner together and make it happen now shiloh's got its share of that but percentage wise shiloh has way more men involved and thankfully lots of young men of god and i mean by that young men who you know are are in their 30s and 40s raising families mm -hmm. that's a refreshing change at shiloh yeah because in most of the churches that we've been a part of the 30 to 40 year old men are non-existent they they're not there mm -hmm. and they think that men who are pastors would rather hang out with women and by that i don't mean something weird and gender i mean i just think that they think of pastors as being not so manly men yeah and i think this is a culture that the church has struggled with for generations there's evidence right in the bible itself that there were places where the women were holding the churches together mm -hmm. more than the men. Mm -hmm. And so this is a problem that churches have always had. Yeah. And so there again, Thyatira stands out as an example of that. It, it, I'm so glad you brought that up because it would have been wrong to finish this without talking about yeah. that. That's good. You got anything else? I don't think so. You know, because you're, you're doing great. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... So. I guess we'll wrap this segment, and then I'll take the recorder down to the studio mm -hmm. later and package all this so yeah. that people can listen to it. But So, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for letting us do this one outside. Yeah. We appreciate that. The flies have enjoyed the presentation. <laughs> um, you know, I personally think flies are from hell, <laughs> but I know God made them, and they do serve a purpose. So uh, <coughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek, but... Uh, so I guess we'll all say goodbye. Ruthie, tell them goodbye. Say it with your mouth, not your waving. <laughs> bye. Oh, there was a teeny tiny little bye there. You might have heard it, folks. We don't know for <laughs> sure. but And Bethany, we'll, we'll tell them bye for now. But... Yeah, we'll talk to you again next week. Well, that's all for this week's study. So I hope you've been blessed. Uh, please send us your comments and 
let us know how you're experiencing this podcast. We really rely on that interaction with you to make it feel more like a uh, in-person Bible study. The best way to communicate with us by far is through the Knowing God with Heart and Mind Facebook group that you can access by clicking the link on this podcast. Uh, You'll see it at the top of the podcast window. Uh, You'll also see it as a separate tab, but you'll also see a link in the description below. So, uh, you know, get in touch with us. If you you want to join that group, you just say, I want to join. And then when I see your name, I will invite you into the group. And and uh, you can be part of the discussion. That's the best way. If you would like, you can also send us an email. Best way to do that is to either respond to this podcast with the link provided, or you can visit us at shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot O-R-G. And you will learn everything you want to know about Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana there. And you'll also get to see pictures of us and uh, get links for emailing us. So we hope you'll stay in touch. It really means a lot to us. And of course, if you are in the vicinity of Jasper, Indiana, we would love very much to have you join us in worship or just stop by and say hello. And uh, we'd really, really do want to hear how you're feeling about this podcast, and uh, we hope that you're blessed. But for now, I wish you the God, the best that God has to give. Uh, God loves you. We love you. So God bless you, and goodbye. <laughs>